you know, I'm, I'm back in the CNE where I've been my whole life every summer, but it doesn't feel the same. I'm compelled and called to take actions or remember things that ground me in the past, but yet I'm here trying to enjoy the experience with, you know, my partner who never grew up going to the CNE, but is trying to appreciate it through my eyes and my life traditions in a way, right? Because we all have, whether it's cultural or family rituals or traditions, I think tradition comes in in many, many forms. Then people will say stuff like, oh, but you get to make your own new traditions. That's one of the worst things for someone who has experienced loss to hear, because of course you want to live your life and establish your own kind of way of doing things. But you also want to be able to bring those you have lost into present day. And through tradition is one of the only ways yet you can, in a way. Welcome back to Root and Seed, a podcast about tradition seekers who are sparked to explore, define, and celebrate their family and cultural identity. I'm your host, Anika Chabra. So far this season of Root and Seed, we have explored the theme of relationships, relationships between culture and the workplace and with yourself and your stories. Perhaps today's episode may feel like a departure for us or may be very natural, familiar, and comforting. It truly does depend upon your lived experience with the topic, one's relationship with grief. What does remain consistent is that no matter your lens of reclamation, that there can be bittersweetness in discovery and joy when you find beauty and peace in the process of it all. For today's guest, the trigger to reroute into her traditions and recipes was the loss of her anchors, her parents. In this episode, we wanted to explore tradition and connection through a collective history. How even after the loss of an older generation, it's the appreciation of the traditions of the past that keep our loved ones alive in our hearts. Francesca Siracco is a daughter of Italian immigrants, an educator, philanthropist, kick-ass fitness instructor, and proud Aries. Fran and I met many moons ago professionally, but now connect more intimately over our shared and profound grief. At Root and Seed, we have stood witness to her efforts to inform others about her relationship with grief over social media and feel a deep sense of gratitude to dive deeper into the nuances of her story in this interview. Here's Fran. My journey is definitely unusual for someone my age. I'm 33, but by the time I was 28, I was what you would consider an orphan and something that I still consider myself to be now. So I had lost both my parents before turning 30. I had previously lived a relatively quote unquote normal life, which I mean, there's no such thing as normal, but I had two parents and sibling and went to school and did the whole thing until one Monday morning when I was 25 my dad passed away from an aneurysm in my arms and that event definitely shifted my entire life and I think anybody that has gone through a profound loss in their life will tell you that the moment that a figure in their life as close and as stable as something like a sibling or a parent could be a parent figure, a friend passes, your, your worldview shatters. That is definitely the ethos of what I felt in that time. And about a year and eight months later, my mom also passed away. She was diagnosed with a terminal cancer. And in that time, I became her full-time caregiver. And 
you know, shifted it and uprooted my whole life and dedicated it to her care, which I would do again in a heartbeat. But aside from that, my whole family dynamic changed and my whole life as I knew it fell apart in a lot of ways. A loss like that really rocks a family system to its core. I always say that there's multiple losses in addition to the loss of both my parents. I think people often think it's just that person is gone and that's what you're grieving, but I am grieving a family system and structure. I'm grieving traditions. I'm grieving a home. I'm grieving a way of life that no longer exists for me anymore. So there are really, you know, secondary tertiary losses in and among the initial loss of both my parents. Hmm. I love that you bring up the idea of secondary losses. In fact, that's something that informed the beginning of Root and Seed. Because when I lost my mom, not only did I lose her physically, I lost all her stories and I lost all the traditions and all the recipes and all those other things. I have witnessed and watched you just transform, you know, from that moment that your your dad passed away. We met kind of, I guess, just before that. And mm-hmm. I have witnessed you channel, for lack of a better word, your grief and your efforts and your energy against a couple of really interesting projects. Can you talk a Mm -hmm. little bit about those projects? Yeah, for sure. And thank you for saying that. I think when we're confronted with pain and loss in our life, you can have it really hamper you or you can channel that pain into purpose. And so that's really something that I focused on. Initially, my first kind of kick at the can was starting a fundraiser in memory of my dad. My partner really was trying to find a way for me to channel all this pain into something more purposeful. With his encouragement and support, we launched a website and an Instagram, and I didn't really have anything flushed out. I just said, hey, I'm going to be baking shortbread cookies. In each dozen, every cent is going to go to the Heart and Stroke Foundation It's the first Christmas without my dad. I am really struggling, but I really want to turn this into a distraction for myself selfishly, but also something that can bring good and bring light to a lot of people. And we launched it with like no expectation. I went into a meeting and my phone kept going off and I finally answered the phone and he was like, you need to call your mom. I forgot to put a limit on the website of how many how many uh, cookies in stock we had, quote unquote. And we're now at about 40 dozen. And I just remember that first year, it was so special because I got to meet so many wonderful humans who I had never met before and just shared and connected their stories of grief to mine or were inspired by it. And it was more really about the community and the conversations that really came out of it that were so special. And in addition to that, after my mom passed, I also became getting heavily involved with myeloma Canada. So my mom passed from a fairly rare cancer called multiple myeloma. And through myeloma Canada, I've been able to speak at several conferences for caregivers that are old and young. It's not just about this particular cancer or my mom's particular experience, but just showing people that these Issues exist, whatever it is that you are impacted by, and we can all share our stories to impact change. You know, to me, it's the lens that you put on everything that you do. So you Mm. decide that you're going to do this thing for your mom and your dad around baking. 
but then you also share such a big piece of your heart while you're doing it and your lens and your process. And, and it's like behind the scenes, but not behind the scenes in an Instagram way. It's like a window into your soul. And I was recently touched by some content that you published around just some things that you used to do with your parents as you were growing up. I think you published some, some information about CNE and visiting that on Labor Day weekend. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what it's like to do some of those meaningful things without them here anymore and what that means for you and your lens on those kind of, for lack of a better word, not cultural traditions, but life traditions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For context, uh, my parents were both in education. So going to the CNE was very much like the end of summer ritual and was something that they partook in as newcomers to Canada which I, I still actually see at the CNE now, which is really nice. There's a lot of newcomers to Canada that go and really celebrate in the experience that is the X. And it, it was a big deal for them. They didn't have a lot of money when they came to Canada. And the CNE has always been relatively affordable. And it was such a treat for them to be able to go with my grandparents and get treats. And they always used to joke, you know, as we went as kids that there used to be such good free stuff and now there's not good free stuff anymore. <laughs> they would come home with bags and bags of fun things. I think some born and bred Torontonians maybe can kind of look down the scene and think it's a bit junky or silly or kitschy and it's it's so much more than that especially if this is not your home of origin or you know you maybe didn't grow up in a certain socioeconomic class so I do appreciate it for many reasons but you know doing anything now without my parents whether it's as big as changing a job or moving or going to something like the CNE is surreal <laughs> it is incredibly surreal and I spoke about this a little bit in my Instagram post but I do feel like I am between two worlds a lot of the time where I am trying to be present and appreciating the experience of my life as it's unfolding. But I almost can't let myself fully commit to the present moment because I have such a longing for a time that I can never go back and repeat. And so it's deeply uncomfortable a lot of the time because you're never quite fully there. You know, I'm, I'm back in the CNE where I've been my whole life every summer, but it doesn't feel the same. I'm compelled and called to take actions or remember things that ground me in the past, but yet I'm here trying to enjoy the experience with, you know, my partner who never grew up going to the CNE, but is trying to appreciate it through my eyes and my life traditions in a way, right? Because we all have, whether it's cultural or family rituals or traditions, I think tradition comes in in many, many forms. Then people will say stuff like, oh, but you get to make your own new traditions. That's one of the worst things for someone who has experienced loss to hear because of course you want to live your life and establish your own kind of way of doing things, but you also want to be able to bring those you have lost into the present day and through tradition is one of the only ways yet you can in a way. And so sometimes you don't want to do new things and you kind of just want to keep it as it was, which is a living memory. But yeah, I do really struggle with again, maintaining these kind of rituals or ways without them, because I don't ever really think I'm fully there. Hmm. Speaking of the past, is there a recipe or a tradition that you 
practice, hold near and dear to your heart, wish that future generations know about, even if you don't have children, your nieces and nephews, your cousins, whomever, is there a family tradition or recipe that just just warms Francesca's heart? Yeah. A lot of Italians, I guess I, you know, grew up here, will tell you this. It's like the ritual of really making sauce on Sundays, specifically Sundays, because obviously Jesus. I'm not a practicing Catholic anymore. Sorry, mom. But, you know, it was like the very much the pre-church ritual of getting this sauce started for lunch. And so it's not something that I do every Sunday, but I find that when I am missing my parents extra and Sundays are usually a day that triggers that a little bit more for me, mainly because they are very much like a slower, more family centric day. I go get the ingredients for our family's sauce and I just commit the two to three hours it takes to simmer everything down very nicely and I make it and I felt like it was never really a recipe it was more like just vibes <laughs> you knew of how to prepare everything and how to get everything going it was very much like a oral or telekinetic tradition I don't know like mind reading that was passed on but I've jotted it down in a note and I actually will send it to people that buy jars of sauce because I think that's criminal like everybody should have access to delicious homemade tomato sauce at home and I mean it makes the house just smell incredible just so homey and cozy and for me it brings back a lot of memories of like kind of smelling that on Sunday morning as I was maybe sleeping and then knowing that I could run downstairs and my dad would give me like a little bit of like the raw sauce as we would call it like not quite cooked down on Wonder Bread and I would eat that and just like think it was the most delicious thing in the world but it's just like such a special connective ritual for me and brings me a lot closer to them because I can just feel them in the process and I think you know their grandparents did this and you know prior to that the history that I'm connected to in Italy that's kind of like my next mission is like reconnecting with the part of my family that is still in Europe and what that kind of genealogy looks like because I really only knew the people that were here in Canada. It feels much more generational to me where there are some gaps, I think, in my in my collective history. So that's probably my favorite. Now send it to everybody who listens to this podcast because no one should be buying jars. <laughs> You've heard it here. DM Francesca and yeah. she will send it to you, her little gift to I the will. world. Oh, I love that. I will. Don't buy Prego, please. <laughs> Don't buy Prego. <gasps> so Fran, we have we have a number of people in this community who are grieving. And I was wondering if there might be a piece of advice that you would have that you've learned through your journey through grief. Or a piece of your heart that you want to share that you think might be useful for anyone listening who is grieving? Mm-hmm. I think there's two things because I've done, you know, a considerable amount of work around grief through all sorts of therapy and groups and reading. I'm actually going to probably be starting a new type of therapy that's more body focused in the later half of this year, which I'm, I'm looking forward to. And I think the, especially the Western way of identifying what grief is, really reduces it to a single emotion. 
And what I have found just very helpful is understanding that it's not an emotion, but actually a state and a little bit more like a verb because you can be very happy, but still in grief, mm -hmm. you know? And I think the English language really reduces a lot of the language we have around emotions. Like we only have one word for love, for example, and that's, again, also pretty criminal, but it is a state of being and it is very much active versus something that is a passive, like, oh, I'm feeling grief right now. It's like, you're always going to be in it. And that's kind of like the second part for me is like, it doesn't get better. And I hate that language around grief of like, oh, are you feeling better? Or it'll get better with time or any of those platitudes that we say, but it changes. And you learn how to live your life with it. And it'll always be with you. And I see a fair share of people just in the connections I've made around grief who run and think that it'll just vanish and go away and you can never outrun it, you know? And it's really about how you continue to live life with it and in that state. And so that I think for me, like those particular points of framing are very helpful for me as I kind of continue forward. Hmm. When you were talking about it being a verb, I, I always say I, I'm feeling rather griefy. Yeah. And there's also degrees to that, right? If I'm feeling in the depths of grief, I feel it physically actually just right above my heart. Mm. My, mom, my mom also passed of an undiagnosed heart situation, but uh, just there's something about saying to myself, okay, I, I get it. I'm feeling griefy. And then mm. I tend to myself in the appropriate way. And maybe because I feel like it's a bit of a scale because sometimes I'm feeling just a tinge of it. And then sometimes I'm feeling like it's a duvet day and I need to stay in my cup. I have a good duvet day. I say those days for me are my not for human consumption days mm -hmm. where I just can't be around people. It's, I am pretty like uninhabitable even to myself, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's all fine. It's so true. It's all fine. <laughs> okay, Fran, I'm going to ask you a question from our conversation card. Okay. Your game. Let's do it. All yeah. right. I'm excited channeling Francesca do a little shuffle here we go like root and seed tarot right? oh love it. It. I know <laughs> very tarot oh what did it say <laughs> you know what in my mind I was like of course it's going to be a food question because we talked about it mm. what is our most important family dish or recipe so sauce is definitely it but I would be remiss to not mention biscotti or like tiramisu or any sort of Italian sweet, mainly because it's very much tradition when it's a communion or confirmation or wedding or shower to just make an abundance of different kinds of biscotti and have people take little kind of like at-home bags of all the different baking. So I feel like there's like a very active process around baking, whereas like to me like sauce and that is more like in the home and baking is more about community. So I would say that recipe and I have several of my mom's because you know you have to make like three or four kinds and she would just crank out extra like three or four dozen of these things at a time it was wild and I would obviously eat like the butts as I called it like, <laughs> like the ones that are just like not good enough for other people but there's so many different baking recipes from like all the different you know amaretti, biscotti, like those little peach cookies and so all of that to me is also another very important recipes they went plural with that but for that reason and are you allowing people to dm you for the biscotti recipes too 
Yes. I actually have a lot of her recipes in like a tin, mm. but I haven't really let myself dive into that whole like era of baking. I don't know why, but if they're curious, I could send whatever. It just might be a weird photo with like a lot of oil stains on it. Cause that's what all of those recipe clippings are right now. There you go. We were meant to talk about food and all the beautiful recipes and your mom's tin, which when it's time, you'll open it up and it'll be yeah. its own experience, which is part of grief. Francesca, thank you. Oh, food. Food is culture and it is sustenance. And Fran helps us see that food is even much more than that. For many families, food is love in the form of tradition, repetition, and legacy. After an amazing story like Francesca's, you don't need me to pontificate on how the smells of family staples can bring our loved ones back. How you can taste love in even and perhaps especially the unpresentable butts in a batch of cookies. And how replicating a recipe can wash you with the warmth of moments that you once shared with a past loved one. We appreciate that Fran reminds us that tradition doesn't need to be cultural, ethnic, or religious to be important. An end-of-summer tradition that is unique to just your family is worth continuing or at least reflecting and reminiscing about. Not only do they shape us, but they truly do keep our loved ones alive. And don't fret, Francesca did share a piece of her heart and family with us, the Siraco family pasta sauce recipe, which you can find on her podcast transcript at rootandseed.com. No ragu needed for anyone in the Root and Seed community. Thanks, Fran. Next episode, we meet another deep and inspiring person who is keeping his heritage alive through hoop dance. We found Eric Michael Hernandez and were immediately attracted to our shared mission to help people recognize the value in their culture and story. He is a man who is living legacy and preserving tradition, and we can't wait for you to meet him next time. Root and Seed is hosted by me, Anika Chabra, executive produced by Jen Serapong Mandel, and edited by Emily Grulot and Camille Blay. Bye for now.